The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. I'm going to read through uh, the whole of Ruth chapter 1 and my my plan uh, for this series is that we will read the whole of Ruth. It's a beautiful book. It really is, not not just in in how it's been written, how it's been put together as a story, but it's something that I think it's great. It's an opportunity for us to read a whole book of the Bible together. So we're going to do that this morning. Ruth chapter 1. This is the word of the Lord for us today. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return to the country of return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited His people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant uh, grant that you may find rest each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. 
Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem. At the beginning of barley harvest. Let me pray. A loving Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the truth that this reveals about our human condition and about you, our loving God. Pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen. Have you ever asked the question, where is God in all this? That is the question that is underlining Ruth. That question is a question that can be a big question, big picture question. A global pandemic hits and we ask, where is God in all this? A war starts out. Where is God in all this? A natural disaster hits. Where is God in all this? There's a, a big picture question that we often ask, isn't it? But it's also a small picture question. It's a question that we ask about our own lives, isn't it? Illness happens. Maybe it's something terminal. Where is God in all this? You lose your job. You lose your family. Where is God in all this? It is a big picture question. And it's a small picture question. It's a question that as we go through Ruth, we are to be asking ourselves, where is God in all this? Naomi's picture, the story of Naomi that we see through Ruth, is a small picture question. It's a picture of tragedy. It's a picture that actually shows us how God relates to his people in the ups and downs of their everyday life. And the big idea for, for Ruth 
as a whole. The main question is, where is God in all this? The big idea that lays behind Ruth, the message it gives us, is that God works through the faithful obedience of his people to bless and bring about his redemptive purposes. I'll say that again. This is the, the big idea, the main message for the whole of Ruth. God works through the faithful obedience of his people to bless and bring about his redemptive purposes. Where is the book of Ruth set? Well, verse 1 tells us exactly the setting of Ruth. It is set in the time of the judges. In the days when the judges ruled, it starts. What was going on in the days of the judges? Well, it was a time when Israel had taken possession of the land through Joshua. They'd come into possession of the promised land. And Israel are then to live out life in that promised land as God has determined it to be, according to his laws, his rules, his commandments and these sorts of things. They are to be faithful to the covenant they have made with God. If they live as God has directed them, then well then they will be blessed. The land will be a place flowing with milk and honey for them. But if they don't live according to God's way, if they turn their back on him and worship other gods, well then they will experience a time of cursing. The land will be cursed. It will be a place of hardship. They will be oppressed. Other countries will come in and oppress them. God intends for Israel to experience a time of peace, of Chesed, peace with God and with one another. But as we see through the book of Judges, that is not the case for the people of God. They don't live as God has directed them. You have not obeyed my voice, says God. We're told the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so there is a pattern to the book of Judges, the, the setting where Ruth is. The people sin. God takes his hand of blessing off them. Another nation comes through and oppresses them. The people cry out to God for help. And he raises up a judge who frees them from the oppression. And whilst that judge is ruling in Israel, it seems as though the people keep covenant. But the judge dies. The people sin. They worship other gods. God sends someone into a prayer. You get the idea. It's an ongoing cycle in Judges. And Judges finish... The book of Judges finishes with these words. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's dealing with the nation, their heart, how they're relating to God. 
The nation is rejecting their God. They'll cry out to him for deliverance, but they won't live according to his way. So the book of Judges shows us how God deals with his people on a national scale. But then as we come to Ruth, it focuses in on one family. It shows us how God deals with them in the ups and downs of their day-to-day life. And we're introduced to that family in the first five verses of Ruth. And some of the details that are given of the family include names. And names have meaning. Uh, We're told that the, the husband, his name is Elimelech, which means, my God is king. Wow, what a name. A name that affirms God's royal sovereignty. Naomi, her name means my pleasant one. Could be ironic given the misery she goes through. And actually, she goes through such misery that she changes her own name. Tamara, which means bitter. Malon, one of the, their sons, his name, and actually Kilion, the other son, their names both have the, the sort of meaning that seems sickly. It seems as though maybe these two boys were born unwell. So maybe this is a family that's been dealing with the hardship of a child who struggles from birth, who struggles with illness, Maybe they're frail from day one. We're also given the names of the the daughters-in-law. Orpah, which seems to have something to do with um, obstinance or or, or the neck or something. So maybe it's to do with stiff-necked type meaning. And then there's Ruth, a lady whose name means refreshment. Now, we're also told that this family are Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. The title there, Ephrathites, is likely to suggest that they were part of the aristocracy in Bethlehem, that they were a well-established family, they were well-known and possibly even well-off there. And what does this family do? Well, Elimelech, the leader of the family, he takes his wife and two boys to Moab, a land outside of the promised land. It's about an 80-kilometer journey. It'd probably take, you, take them about a week, a bit over a week to get there. It'd be like going from Marumba Downs here up to the sunny coast, but not flat and not in a car, walking with all your possessions. And Elimelech's plan was to sojourn there, to spend some time there and and to wait out the famine that had gripped Israel. So some questions that this might pose to us is why would a man whose name means my God is king leave the promised land? Leave the land of blessing 
Is he sinning by doing this? Is he just doing what is right in his own eyes? Is he rejecting God and going about things his way? Well, it's not actually clear and that's possibly not the point. But when we are told that Elimelech sojourns, we're told a word that is very similar to a man by the name of Abram. We're told in Genesis chapter 12 that Abram sojourned in Egypt to escape a famine that was in the promised land. And so maybe for the readers of Ruth, we're supposed to have in our minds the blessings that God had promised to Abram. Are the blessings in jeopardy with Elimelech leaving? Well, either way, actually, Elimelech is not the main character in Ruth. He's gone within a few verses. The main characters are Naomi, Ruth, and a noble man of character named Boaz that we'll meet later. So even God isn't given the spotlight by the writer of Ruth's story. In fact, God's name is almost exclusively used by the actors as they talk. The narrator of, of Ruth portrays God as more of the silent director, someone who chooses to work behind the scenes through providential interactions with his people. This is seen in chapter 1 where Naomi happens to hear the good news that God has visited his people. It's also seen that um, when Naomi returns to Bethlehem at the end of chapter 1, it happens to be at the same time as the barley harvest. We also notice that Ruth happens to be gleaning in the field that belonged to Boaz. And at the same time that Boaz just happened to be coming to visit his field to check on the progress of the harvest. This Boaz happened to be a man of good character. A man who followed the law. Boaz happened to be in the right place at the right time for Ruth to propose marriage to him, for him to be a redeemer. And the man who was a closer relative of Naomi, and therefore Ruth, just happened to walk past Boaz when he was at the, the gate of the city, sorting out the legal things related to his potential marriage to Ruth. that closer relative happened to choose not to redeem Naomi and Ruth because it wasn't in his best interests as he saw it. See, although God has no lines to speak and the spotlight isn't pointed on him in this story, his fingerprints are all over it. He is working through the faithful obedience of his people to bless and bring about his redemptive purposes. So what do we make now of Elimelech's 
plan to leave. Well, ultimately, his plan fails. Limbalak sought to leave Israel to escape death. Yet what do they find? The three men of the family, gone, all within 10 years. And so now, Naomi and her daughters-in-law, but especially Naomi, finds herself in a foreign land, empty, without a provider, without a protector, detached from the land of promise and her support network. How have things worked out for her? Rather than fleeing death and escaping it, she is facing death. There is no hope for Naomi in Moab. And that might be a situation that's not so different to many people today. Maybe you find yourself in a situation where you are disconnected from your support network. You feel like you're in a, a foreign land. Maybe you're in a foreign country to what you're used to. Maybe you're in a different state. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's a family member you know who seems to be in a tough situation. Maybe you look at their life and go, oh, wow. Seems pretty hopeless for them. If that's not your situation, the odds are you've got a friend or a neighbour for whom that is their situation. A neighbour who is struggling to provide. They're without a provider, without a protector. Maybe they're disconnected from their family and their support network. Where do we find hope in our time of need in our time of ultimate vulnerability. Where do you turn when hope, when life seems hopeless? Well, I'd encourage you to find your hope in God, friends, because when people respond in faithful obedience to God's word, there can be hope in the most hopeless of situations. For Naomi, that starts in verse 6, where it says, Then she arose, that is Naomi, with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. The Lord had visited his people and given them food. Now notice how the text does not express the end of the famine in Israel. What it chooses not to say. It doesn't just say that the famine broke. Or maybe, that maybe there was a good weather event, higher than average rainfall that year. The oppressors didn't come in. The fields were productive again. Now that's not the message. The message is that the Lord had visited his people. 
And that word there, visitors, is also the same word that is used in Exodus to speak of God's seeing and coming to the aid of his people. Verse 31 of Exodus 4. And the people believed when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that he had seen their affliction, and they bowed down and worshipped. So when Naomi hears that the Lord has seen and come to the aid of his people, she packs her bags and heads for home. She sees a glimmer of hope in an otherwise hopeless situation. Naomi returns because she hears that the Lord has returned, that he has visited his people. And that's because her hope is found in the Lord. And while these three ladies have some similarities in their situations, there's also vast differences between them. See, Naomi is an Israelite. She could return turn home to her own patch of land. Maybe she could hire it out to someone and be provided for through that. Whereas Orpah and Ruth, they are Moabites. They have family and support work network in Moab. They would be foreigners in Israel. Naomi is old, whereas Ruth and Orpah, they are young still. Naomi seems to not have much hope, doesn't seem to hold out hope for a, a husband to be able to marry someone who would provide and protect her. Yet, for these younger women... That's something that's really open to them in Moab, isn't it? Not so much in Israel, where they'd be foreigners. See, their reasons for leaving their homeland would be different to what Naomi's reason was. Naomi left her homeland to escape famine and hardship. She was seeking to exchange hardship for prosperity. We might say to exchange death for life. Now friends, it seems like the fields of Moab are still productive. They're still sustaining the people of Moab. By leaving their homeland, Orpah and Ruth will be choosing to go into hardship. They'd be exchanging prosperity for hardship. They could be exchanging life for death. Seems like Naomi has every reason to go and no reason to stay. Yet for the other girls, seems like they have every reason to stay and no reason to go. So therefore, Naomi discourages them from leaving their homeland. She tells them to go back, not to follow her. Seems like an easy choice, hey? Who in their right mind would choose to exchange prosperity for hardship? To exchange life for death? 
Well, in the story, Orpha has heard enough. Enough evidence for her. She kisses her mother-in-law goodbye and heads for home. Ruth, on the other hand, makes an astonishing choice. She chooses to exchange comfort, prosperity for hardship. And she does this out of loyalty for her mother-in-law. But also she does this out of confidence in God. See, look with me of what, at what Naomi says in verses 16 to 17. Sorry, what Ruth says. Ruth says to Naomi, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. She shows amazing character, doesn't she? She remains faithful. Entrusting herself to God, to his protection, to his provision. She does this no matter what the outcomes. In fact, everything seems to be stacked against her. Her mother-in-law has been very clear. I feel bitter thinking of what it like, would be like for you girls to return with me. You stay. Friends, that is the choice that we all must make, isn't it? Do we choose to remain faithful? Do we choose to entrust ourselves to God as our provider and protector? Even though we don't know what the future holds, even though we're told this is going to be hard. Are we willing to make that choice? Or would we prefer to stay in the place of comfort? To follow familiar gods of this land? Whilst this is the example that Ruth gives, it's the example that Jesus gives us to follow, friends. There's a choice we all must make. Are you faced with that choice right now? Is there something in your life going on that you're facing a choice? Do you choose to remain faithful or would you prefer to stay comfortable? You know that the faithful road could be hard. Maybe you're at work and you've got a choice. Do I remain faithful in my work? Something with your employer. Maybe there's a, a choice. You could make things a little more comfortable for yourself. But it would mean being unfaithful in some way. Or maybe it, there's, there's a moral choice you've got to be making. Maybe it's a moral dilemma you're faced with. Are you going to remain faithful to your spouse? 
Or are you going to continue to do what feels comfortable to you right now? Are you going to remain faithful to your family? Or are you going to choose some other way? Maybe there's something, some addiction type thing that's really weighing on you. And in the fight, you've got a choice. Do I remain faithful to what I know is true and choose the hard road here? Or do I just choose the comfortable road? Do I give in? Friends, the choices we make show something about our character. They show if we are people who entrust ourselves to God regardless of the outcome or if we just choose to do what's right in our own eyes. Friends, for those who are faithful, who choose to entrust themselves to God, blessing awaits them. See, the final verses in chapter 1 finish with Naomi declaring that she sees God's hand behind her emptiness. Yet while she may have received emptiness from the Lord, she actually better get ready to receive blessing from him as well. See, in verse 22, the narrator suggests that the story is poised, ready to reveal how God will come to the aid of Naomi and Ruth. Tells us in verse 22 that Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. They come to the, the place of bread, as Bethlehem was known, at the beginning of the blessing of God. See, friends, while those who are faithful to God must be willing to accept times of emptiness from God, we should also anticipate times of blessing. Blessing awaits those who hope in the Lord. What is your hope in? Is your hope in, in the comfortable, in something that seems certain now? Is your hope in prosperity as you see it? Is that what's right in your eyes? Or is, it, is your hope in something else? See, if your hope is in the comfortable, friends, you will flee hardship. You'll try to escape it at all costs to remain comfortable. But friends, you have another choice. You've got another option. You can choose to have your hope in the Lord. And for those whose hope is in the Lord, they are willing to endure hardship and to do so in faithful obedience they are willing to accept 
times of emptiness from God. And I know that is easy to say. And that is hard to live, right? I know that for a bloke in his early 40s, whose life is going really well, there doesn't seem to be any hardship. I know that that's my story and that's not necessarily yours. But friends, we need to be willing to accept times no matter how long the duration is. Maybe it's your lifetime. Times of emptiness from the hand of God. But to do so anticipating blessing to follow. Friends, that is the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. As the writer of the Hebrews reminds us, we need to look to Jesus as our example of this. Jesus was the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He despising the shame. He is now seated at the right hand. Of the throne of God. Friends, Jesus has shown us the way. The way is to leave that place of comfort and prosperity and to be willing to endure hardship because our hope is in God and we will endure it through faithful obedience to His will for us. That is what Jesus did, right? He left his place in glory and came, suffered and died, was rejected. How much support network did Jesus have hanging on the cross? And he was willing to Faithfully obey the road of hardship that was set before him because he knew the blessing that awaited. Not only that he would be reunited with his father, seated at his right hand, but that we would be united to him. Friends, let me encourage you this morning through what we've seen in Ruth chapter 1. Put your hope in the Lord, for his blessing awaits the faithful. Let me pray. Our loving Heavenly Father and Almighty God, we, Lord, we just pray that as we now think about what's been said here this morning, what your word has said to us. Lord, I pray that you'll prompt us to go back over it again, to chew on this, to really see the reality of the situation there. Lord, I pray that as we do, that we won't just see the reality that was hardship. Lord, we'll also be captured by the words of faithfulness on the lips of of Ruth, 
they would be challenged by the emptiness that is expressed by Naomi. But Lord, that we would also be gripped by the words of your faithfulness, working behind the scenes, working through your people so that we might have hope, the hope of redemption. Father, I pray that for all of us today that we won't leave this here, that we will go throughout the weeks ahead thinking about how this might say something to our situation, to the life that we currently face. We pray, Lord God, that through your Holy Spirit you would change us, transform us and make us people of faithful obedience whose hope is in the Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.